Hey guys, what's up? This is Palagan's House and welcome again to the podcast where we figure things out and learn from the best. It's IDK What to Say. We got a great episode today. We have Flobo Boys. He's a writer, a DJ, a host, a podcaster, a stand-up comedian. Everything that you want to do in life, he's done it already, probably. You get to learn how to self-release your own book your own stand-up special on Spotify, and all those stuff. I really like the conversation I had with him because I myself am a big fan of pro wrestling. I grew up liking the sport, and we get to dabble on it a bit and how, as kids, we get uh, reprimanded by our parents because, you know, the Attitude Era was not PG. So without further ado, guys, enjoy the show. The views and opinions of the guest does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the host, the show, and the team. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast where we figure things out and learn from the best. Now, this episode is really energizing me because it brings me back to my roots. For those who know or who knew, like last year, we I am uh, a host and part of the team of Fight Sport Manila. It's a podcast in the Philippines where we cover any combat sport event that happens in our motherland. And that may be uh, international events or whatnot. And yeah, I, I'm going to talk about that in today's episode and I'm, I'm very excited because I haven't talked about this for a long while and this guy seems very knowledgeable when it comes to the wrestling industry that I'm a big fan of and yeah I think there's like a bit of uh, polar stuff happening because he's a fan of NXT uh, clearly for those who know I'm a fan of AEW and we could talk about that but other than that, man, this guy is a stand-up comic. He's a writer. He's a comedian. And, of course, he's a wrestling fan, a podcaster, a host. He, he's doing everything. Let's give it up for Flobo Boys. Wow, that was a dope intro. Thank you so much, Paolo. I feel like I'm famous now. <laughs> man, I, I think you are. I think you are. And, and to, to tell you why, man, like, first, you, you uh, we were talking about this backstage. You were interviewing... Uh, the AEW wrestlers or the independent wrestlers like 10 years ago. Am I right? Yeah, true. Yeah. Back in uh, 2010 and 11, I, I got into professional wrestling as a, well, I wanted to be a ring announcer uh, with a, a promotion called Mach 1. Um, for those who are familiar, the independent scene has like bigger promotions, smaller promotions. So this one was like a, a junior championship wrestling from, from Hollywood. And, and uh, I was started as a interviewer and then a commentator. So a lot of the matches I did the interview, I held the microphone for uh, guys like Peter Avalon or Willie Mack, Brian Cage, uh, Sean Ricker, who's LA Knight uh, these days or, or Eli Drake these days. And so it was cool to see them like, you know, bloom and blossom and, and make their, their way. That was back in almost a decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And, and it's really cool that you were there when uh, everything was starting. Like when you were interviewing uh, these people, especially Eli Drake, did, did you already at the back of your mind think that, hey, these these wrestlers right here, they are going to make it? 
Oh, absolutely. Back then, he, uh, Sean Ricker, who went by his real name back then, tag team with Brian Cage, and they were a team uh-huh. called. And and Eli Drake was saying it was a fact of life back then. And I of everyone in, on that roster, I was like, yeah, Mr. Ricker's gonna go somewhere. I mean, Brian Cage too, but like Ricker had a way of of, of making him seem like he was authentic with the microphone. Oh, cool. And and I have to ask you, being a ring announcer, like I mean, I'm I'm a wrestling fan. I've watched some wrestling shows. There's always this stick when like a, a wrestler is being interviewed by someone, and the the announcer gets bullied, or you know, you get the brunt of the anger, or or whatever. I mean, did you have to do uh, those uh, kind of uh, those uh, kind of segments? Oh, absolutely. So, like, one of the unspoken rules of wrestling is that these are just giant titans in the rings. This is why when you hit a referee, they're, like, knocked out for 20 minutes. Uh, but the thing was, I was kind of large. I mean, I'm six foot tall. At the time, I was, like, 260. Um, so a lot of times I did my interviews, like, like split-legged, so I was shorter than everybody else. And I remember having uh, Peter Avalon, uh, who was, wasn't even uh, graduated high school yet. And he was like 145 pounds. And uh, John Ian, rest in peace, the guy who gave me my first uh, the, uh, role in wrestling, was like, we can't use this. You look way bigger. <laughs> you look exactly. like you're <laughs> But usually, yeah, you're supposed to take the brunt or you get grabbed by the shirt and tie or they insult you for being a nerd, that kind of thing. Yeah, man, exactly. That's the thing I was going to say. Like, based on your stature, man, like, it would be hard for someone like Peter Avalon to, to grab your collar and and then th- people would believe that, you know, right. that he could bully you. But you have to make it uh, believable. True, true. That's kind of the gimmick. <laughs> well, I mean, aside from that, you, you already are currently doing a podcast about an NXT recap that's UK and NXT America. I mean, how did you go to that uh, that world now? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a crazy story. So I take a step back. I was working at AfterBuzz TV, uh, which was the this digital network that was ran by Maria Menounos and Kevin Agar, her husband. And they had a bunch of after shows. And they treated the wrestling after shows because Maria has a relationship with WWE. She, she uh, does. She does, yeah. Uh, as kind of like these institutions. Like you didn't, you didn't get selected. It was passed down to you. Oh. Um, and so I was a staff person. I was a, a host in the end of the table. And then John Quasto got signed by WWE. And then Evan Mack got signed by WWE. He's on the bump now. Uh, and so I became the host of that show. And I was running NXT and Raw. Um, and and I had some people working on the ADW side. So when that went in hiatus in 2020, uh, we're all locked down. We're all in our in our rooms. And and I people were asking me, hey, is there going to be an after show? We want to hear your after show. And I said, I don't want to do an NXT show. There's so many of them. Everyone has an NXT show. Uh, what can I do that's different? And I realized no one's really given N- uh, UK any love. And I get to work weekends because I'm also a wedding DJ, right? Uh, I said, well, I'm home during the day. Let me watch UK and give people live recap five minutes after they go off air. And so I got Jack Farmer, which we'll talk about in a second because he's I, I work with him on a lot of projects. We did uh, Draped in Gold, drapedingold.com. That covers both NXT UK and NXT. And it airs five minutes after UK airs in the United States. I mean, based on on your experience, because like on our part here in the Philippines, it's it's not accessible for us to have a WWE network. And the way we could see the UK content is if you know they post it on YouTube, but it won't be full matches. It will be like just the short clips. Uh, what can you say for uh, like based on your assessment on how NXT UK is to the whole WWE product? 
Yeah, for sure. And that's a very good question because a lot of people who have the network don't give it a chance, you know. Um, on the surface, UK is a little bit inaccessible because it looks like a bunch of bruisers hitting each other. It looks like everyone is wearing plain tights and is being tough, like a whole a whole promotion of Oni Lorcans, right? But wow. but over time, there there is a bit of a balance of the British side. They do hit harder. Uh, a lot of the moves are chain-based. Uh, they don't really go to the top rope as much, but they can. There is a mix of like the, the regal of like old school Europe and 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 how the it's an old town and some of the imagery, but with this new grimy hard hitting style, I urge everyone if they can get it now. It's been about a couple years now. If they get that Walter versus Tyler Bate match from Takeover uh, Blackpool Two, uh, it, it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. And even Walter with Ilya Dragunov, pro you'll probably understand the kind of storytelling that brand does, and they need to love. In fact, when I post an episode, it's usually the UK talent that like and comment and say good job or, or, or retweet uh, what we're doing because it's, it's it's really like it's I don't want to get in trouble here but it's kind of like Japan in a way that we they balance more in fighting spirit it isn't so much about the character flash it's about who can win this in an athletic contest so uh, for until WWE gets a Japan outpost it's the closest thing you're gonna get is with the UK yeah man speaking of uh I don't know if you were aware but like Two years ago, if I'm not mistaken, NXT had a tryout in Asia, like all the wrestlers in Asia, because apparently, I, I, I don't quote me on this one, but apparently they are planning a, a like an NXT UK, but for Asia. I don't know specifically if it's Japan, but there are some local wrestlers here in the Philippines that got to try out. They did it in China, so I'm not sure if it's a, if it's gonna be NXT China, but. Yeah, it's it's really nice that you know the WWE is expanding in terms of their content because like uh, you mentioned Walter and I saw him uh, wrestle in Survivor Series. When I see him on NXT UK with the, those YouTube clips, he looks so huge. He looks so threatening. But I um, mean, when he was oh standing side by side with those raw smackdown talent it's like he, he looked shorter but i mean his his ring style is still there yeah a lot of the the main roster thing of of having everyone at survivor series really puts you together like i didn't realize how big shelton benjamin was uh until he says like stands next to lashley you're like oh wow <laughs> shelton you're huge exactly but but it's about imposing figure like when that music comes out his his face comes out it's kind of like it doesn't matter how big he is. He's going to beat your face off if you get him upset. So I totally understand. Exactly, exactly. And with regards to that, you know, are you in favor of what the WWE is doing? Like from the Raw or the SmackDown roster, they brought Finn Balor back to NXT. Because like, I mean, if we would admit it, I enjoy seeing uh, Finn Balor wrestle those kinds of matches in NXT than those 5-10 minute matches on Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, they're two different formats, you know, and it's hard to say with the pandemic, but like the, the big thing they always say is Raw and SmackDown is like a movie, and NXT is like Broadway. I think uh, Finn Balor would definitely benefit it coming back and being the prince and all that. He served the purpose. Um, it was kind of fun spectacle to, to, to nudge your friends who don't watch wrestling and say, hey, look, he turns into a demon. But I think 
uh, Balor has totally shined in this stage of his career in NXT. I'm learning to accept everything in all flavors, you know, because not only do I have my own show with NXT, I actually work uh, with that same, my same co-host. We do an AEW show on Wednesday nights called The Lead of the Week. So I kind of watch them all. And on Wednesday nights, I'm watching both at the same time. Uh, so I understand the differences. And so people say, I don't like Raw. I go, well, SmackDown is a whole different vibe now. Or I don't like SmackDown, exactly. the UK. It's like WWE's gotten better at making each brand different, but they're still on top. And when you're on top, it's easy to criticize. Exactly. And uh, with that, man, like you are right. Uh, SmackDown, Raw, they, they created their own identity. But uh, at the same time, it feels like there are too many shows you can't follow the the superstars already. And like, I remember I started watching and I would like to ask you this after like, uh, when I started watching wrestling, it was like the 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 attitude era, and guys like Esarios, if if you are familiar. Oh with yeah, him. he's my favorite man. He was my favorite. Exactly. Man. I mean, if, if you you could watch him on Shotgun Sunday Night Heat, and when he goes to the main roster, you already have an idea on who he is, but. Like right now, uh, I would see uh, from time to time like an NXT uh, superstar debut on the Rumble or, or do a show and I, I would be clueless on who that person is. And I was thinking, is it because I'm not following the product or are, they, are there too many out there already? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, to go back to the, the SA Rios thing, like I, I grew up pretty poor didn't have cable so raw back then and then he was on cable and shotgun saturday night and jacked and metal those things were on on free tv and so when sa rios debuted it felt like oh i remember this guy he was on this broadcast channel like at 11 30 p.m on a saturday night but he's doing it but i think that's kind of what it is it's the it's the segmentation of what we watch right so yeah. i watch raw smackdown nxt because i cover it as a journalist would but if i am working or even when i'm busy i'm i quick to draw it. I think SmackDown is the strongest brand, top to bottom, but I almost never have time to watch it live because it's Friday night at 8 p.m. local time. And so I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of these new stars. And, and WWE eventually has to make a decision of, is NXT going to be the separate bubble that doesn't cross over at all? Or is it going to be this thing where it's going to be a free-flowing universe? Because what we're seeing is when an NXT superstar comes to the main roster, it's almost like a reprogramming. They have to get a brand new character. Like exactly. Nikki Cross was one thing. Now she's one thing. Keith Lee is one thing. Now it's one thing. So, yeah. Yeah, man. And and speak going back to what you were saying, you, you mentioned that the shows you watch were there were some on free TV on cable. I, I want to share with you, man. During our time in the Philippines, there was only 30 minutes of wrestling a week and it's two months delayed. So oh, I yeah. remember, yeah, a, a, a cool question with regards to that is that when Raw in Manila came, so I watched and I got surprised that Shelton Benjamin was the Intercontinental Champion because I was watching Raw the day before and it was Ric Flair. Then suddenly <laughs> Shelton was champion. I'm like, what's going on? And yeah. I, I, I can't follow it. It's, it's really crazy. And that's when I realized that, you know, it wasn't live. But I mean, it was so cool back then where there's no internet and that the best way to, to learn or watch the full show is from uh, lending tapes with your friends. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have, which sounds <laughs> terrible. But I would go to a video store, uh, and it was called Sunco. So I think they're, they're out of business now. And you would buy wrestling tapes. But the problem was, back then, they were like thirty nine ninety five US. And just like, what? So I, had to, I would save up for like a, a Capital Carnage or a Mayhem in Manchester, which had nothing to do with what's going on now, because I didn't have cable. It was like, any wrestling I'll, I'll take. And this is why... Even though I'm in my mid-30s now, I'm a big fan of SmackDown. Because SmackDown was on free TV. Like That was like the introduction to the Attitude Era was SmackDown. So I'm like a SmackDown guy. But I remember going to get tapes from the store or renting Blockbuster video and ugh, different times. Yeah, man, that was that was so crazy. And sometimes you have to watch it in a non-linear fashion. But like you enjoy the show. I, I enjoyed the wrestling. And, and sometimes I think if the internet being so accessible that you get to read leaks or, or dirt sheets that, you know, it's ruining the the magic. But going to what you said, man, SmackDown, that is like the Roman Reigns arc so far this year, man. That's one of the best writing I've seen that, I mean, you could spoil it on the dirt sheet, but I'm I'm definitely going to watch that. Well, that's it. It's top down, right? Once you care about the Universal Championship and what Roman Reigns is going to do, then you can build up guys like Cesaro, or you can you can build up people in that second hour. I mean, Reginald got some time, you know, and and even though the the Sasha Bailey storyline ended, you had Bailey with Bianca for a bit and Sasha with Carmella for a bit, and they were both hot. So once you get a strong champion on top and you give them the right segments to to give us like a through line, then you can like start building up these I don't want to say B plus because they could all out wrestle me. But you know what I'm saying? People yeah. don't think about as top stars. And that's why for a long time SmackDown was just this is a solid two since the summer, they've been the most solid two hours of wrestling as far as entertainment's concerned. Yeah, man. And and aside from that, like, yeah, SmackDown is like viewed as the B show, but right now, I mean, Roman would probably be higher on that rank than Bobby Lashley. I'm happy he won. But like I, I see the story being very well written and I don't know if, if Paul Heyman has something to do with it or Roman has so much pull backstage but sometimes I feel Raw is like doing things on the fly if, if you get my drift and, and it's really crazy. Yeah, I mean with three hours, I was listening to my, my friend three hours is like, okay if you didn't have the roster, I'll understand. <clears throat> you do. And what we're seeing is it's just not enough faith in the in the other players because we don't see people that were featured before. We don't see Angel Garza as much. We don't see Umberto Carrillo as much. But like even acts I do like, like the Hurt Business. On um, this past Monday was a fantastic way of doing it because it was a running clock every hour just for Miz to 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 have defend his title. But before that, you will have like Bobby Lashley come out for a match and they'll go away. And the next hour they'll be a tag team match and it'll go away. Then MVP would have a match. You're like. Why are we getting three segments of these things? And and I would get mad. But I was like, this is really like Raw not trusting on Umberto Carrillo. Not trusting, well, I won't say Selena Vega anymore. Or an Andrade, I have to say. These 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 talents that are there. So that's why I think SmackDown has been so good about that. Finding ways to work people in, even before the draft, that make us care about when Lucha House Party was on SmackDown, they were on a winning streak. When Drew Gulak was on SmackDown, 20-minute matches, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And yeah, with that, man, I really wish they gave more love to guys like, you know, uh, Angel Garza. and Because these are the people who showed up during the pandemic. Like, remember that time when there was a lockdown and every week you would see uh, Andrade and uh, 
Angel Garza, and it's pretty much uh, Seth Rollins, Buddy Murphy, Rey Mysterio. You don't see those big names, but they they still they still made the most out of it. Even the Hurt Business. That's why I'm happy Lashley won because I mean. They were the ones who carried it in a time when, you know, when TV was impossible to make. Yeah, there's a lot of people that should get like gold stars of those guys. Asuka, Bailey, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time right now. She's, she killed it during this pandemic time. And and maybe there was a little bit of a, hey, we, we burned these characters out. Let's shelve them. Maybe it was a thing where it's like we tried it, didn't work. On some level, as a creative, you, you're supposed to do that with any product, if whether you're a fashion designer or whatever, but then it's kind of frustrating because there's certain wrestlers like myself. Like I, I'm a big Apollo fan, but I can tell you over the summer of 2020, I had seen so much of Apollo that I was ready for a break. And that that blows my mind because I was a fan going in. Like, I can imagine if I was a guy who didn't like Apollo being like, this guy again? Like It's, it's just kind of this ebb and flow and figure out what worked for what brand. Exactly, exactly. Now, I have to ask you this. I mean, if you could share with us, what was that one moment you remember watching that made you hooked on wrestling? Is there like a specific wrestler or, or is there a specific moment? Mine, personally, it was that time when uh, Kane unmasked and I thought it was him, but it's really The Undertaker and they just put like those black paint on his eyes. Yeah. And that at that time, man, like everyone was saying, is that came and then i realized it was undertaker and man i got hooked in that oh wow man that's a cool moment i mean i feel old now i hear that because I, <laughs> I was like in junior high school that happened um i would say i used to i used to watch uh, superstars and wrestling challenge as a kid uh that was the after cartoons on saturdays and sundays or, or on sundays before oh. church you would watch wrestling or whatever uh, my big three I get make fun of a lot is uh, Razor Ramon, um, Duke the Drumster Rosie, and Tatanka. And if you remember Tatanka in the early 90s, he went two years without losing a match. So oh. imagine being a kid and having this guy come out wearing blue tights, stomping the ground because you, you know Tatanka means buffalo in the American languages, and beating everybody for over almost two years. To me, I was I was hooked with that. And my dad, when he came to uh, the United States uh, and became a citizen, he would tell me when he was a kid or when he was younger, he would go to Madison Square Garden to watch Chief J Strongbow. So imagine your dad telling you about a Native American wrestler in theory, and you growing up and seeing a Native American wrestler. And, and active there it is there's a blue type yeah. i'm talking about i was like oh i was hooked so i was a big tatanka guy growing up for sure yeah that's really nice man and i want to go back to uh razor ramon uh, i remember my first wrestling figure that i bought was razor ramon and i didn't know wrestling back then but when you look at those figures like in the shelves there's something about Razor Ramon's look that would make you want to grab it. Like if you would see he had that curly, that curly bang, then he has that, that vest and that toothpick. And yeah. you'd be like, man, I, I want to have that toy. Cause like, I, I mean, the undertaker is popular, but like, other than that, it's, it's more uh, generic bodies on tights, but that <laughs> Razor Ramon figure looks so cool. I remember that. I remember seeing uh, uh, D'Lo Brown. Actually, D'Lo Brown's my favorite wrestler of all time, global uh, fact. But back then, oh. watching those videos I, I saved up for and, and seeing D'Lo come up with his chest protector and then his uh, the the African print tights because he was in the nation at the time and, and him shaking his head around. I was like, oh, who's this guy who can go up to the top rope, who can submit you in the ring, who can do a leg drop, who can, you know, like, I was, as in the Attitude Era, I was a D'Lo guy. 
I came for The Rock. The yeah. Rock was confidence, but I was D'Lo guy. Man, I hear you. And, and the reason why is like when D'Lo Brown walks out, he has that certain swagger that you would want to imitate. Like, because when you do it, you know you're imitating D'Lo Brown. He has that certain walk. I I, I can't do it here because like the, the space is limited. But <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure you know there's a lot of gifs about it. And yeah. I'm sure you know how he walks. And also his, his move is that like that one, that leg drop. That's that's very uh, iconic in in my opinion, and yeah, the Attitude Era gave uh, a lot of exposure to those mid card to undercard, aside from those main eventers. The video that was playing was SummerSlam '99, and that was the the people that got me back into wrestling. Because again, I between '96 and '99, I didn't watch it because it was always on USA. But SummerSlam '99, I went to a cousin's house and I saw how cool Dilo was uh, winning the winning having both titles and all that, you know. And, and it was like, oh man, this is this is what wrestling is all about. So I'm, that's why I'm a SummerSlam guy. Like WrestleMania is cool. I'm not knocking WrestleMania, but I'm a SummerSlam guy because of '99, an out of body experience. Jesse Ventura. I mean, whew, classic. Yeah, definitely. And and the cool thing about SummerSlam is that, you know, they're more focused on the big moments itself. Because, like, when I'm watching WrestleMania, I kind of notice they spend more time walking to the ring than actually wrestling. So oh, that, yeah. that's that's really funny. And, yeah, man, if I could share, man, I, I also, for a time, stopped watching wrestling. And that's because, like I said, it was on free TV. Then probably they lost their license. Then when cable was a thing in the Philippines, like the first uh, thing I saw was Evolution, and man, I, I got hooked instantly. That that was that was a really cool stable. Oh, absolutely! That's one of the top stables of all time. And I, I, what I like about wrestling is because there's no reruns, and and your characters are there for a couple of years. You can take breaks a lot of people feel like they have to be watching every week again if you want to great if you don't take a break i think this is the longest run i've been on i think i've been watching wrestling straight for like uh, 12 years but if you ever take like a, a couple months off or a season off but evolution i wasn't a shield person but you can't deny they're a big stable the hurt business now undisputed era like this is a whole new era if i can say it of, of staples yeah factions yeah, and um, we're going to go to your uh, stand-up comic route, but I would want to ask before that, like, what was your first live wrestling event in the WWE or AEW? Uh, it was WWE because AEW was like, what, two years old? I haven't been able to see AEW live yet. Uh, it, it was a house show. It was in Madison Square Garden. That's the, I, I, live, I live in Brooklyn, so that's like the local event. I had asked my mom for about six months to go to see wrestling. I didn't know at the time because my mom didn't say it, but she, she hated wrestling because of Ken Patera being such a rap scallion back then. Uh, so my brother took me out to an event and it was like a, a giant, I don't remember who was in it, eight man tag match, but it was like the Dudleys, Triple H and Stone Cold versus some from random dudes. And my brother, popped hard because Stone Cold was like stomping a mud hole and my brother was like too cool for school so it was cool to see him like mark out so I marked out because he marked out and it was the cool time man and so the second time I did it oh there's Ken Patera Ooh, my mama came yeah. he, he hits too hard she would say <laughs> but the second time I went to was the Monday Night Raw and it kept going over there from there yeah, man. And and yeah, speaking of you, you brought it up. Like even my mom or our parents here, they weren't a big fan of us watching wrestling. And I remember it was DX because once that that crotch chop was a thing, I remember as a kid, man, like 
in the Philippines, if, if jeepneys would pass by, so that's like a public transportation, yeah. we would be at the window and we're just crotch chopping everyone that passed by. And they didn't know what it meant back then. Yeah. So they were like, um, what is that? Then when we started saying, suck it, suck it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No wrestling for a month. Right. Can't, can't be at Sunday school. You know, we got yeah, too much yeah. for you. Yeah. I remember, like, I was like in a party with all her friends, and, and I was just doing "suck it, suck it," and I think one of the moms knew what what that meant. Right. And yeah, that that wasn't a, a fun day, but it was really uh, cool thinking about it now, because like BX made something a big thing. Because I had a lot of friends in school who don't watch wrestling, and they still did the crotch chop because it looked so awesome. And then, and once you do it, you'll be like very intrigued on what that means oh yeah i won't say it's empowering we kind of like wow I crotch chop teachers you know parents grandma yeah. You, know, just, you know yeah remember like if you're gonna pat if you're gonna be able to answer a, a question by your teacher you just crotch chop your whole class and, <laughs> and the teacher would be clueless on, on what you're doing it's really yeah. crazy hey let's talk about your uh stand-up uh like how how long have you been doing it? I mean, this show again. Uh, in case you don't know, it's the the place where we figure things out and learn from the best. You are the best oh, person man, we can talk to regarding to uh, stand up comedy. Like, uh, how did it happen, man? Yeah, you know. Um, well, the first question, August tenth, two thousand fourteen. That was the first day I was on stage. Uh, as, as far as the the kind, oh, that's my face right there, baby. Woo! Yeah, I I, I always liked comedy growing up. I was big into the late night talk shows. We're talking about Kimmel, or uh, before Kimmel, Jay Leno, uh, Letterman. I used to be. I wanted to do that. I wanted to be on stage and, and learn comedy. But that was always a dream of like, ah, oh, when I get to be twenty five. I don't know why we would say twenty five when we were kids. When I'm twenty five, things will change. Uh, when I get to get a million dollars, it'd be different. Um, but what happened was, and we can go into this if you like. But I had a near death experience, and I thought I was going to die. And I said, if I survive this night. I'm going to at least try this. And so it was like the week after Christmas of 2013. I survived it. Uh, six months later, my birthday, my birthday is in June. My girlfriend got me a six-week comedy class. I walked in there and I was like, all right, how does this work? And the gimmick was they'll give you, if you took the six weeks and you graduated, you got three minutes at the world-famous comedy store, which if you don't know, your listeners don't know, is like one of the biggest comedy venues on the planet, if not LA. And so I did my three minutes. I was nervous, of course, first time doing it. No, I was nervous until they called my name. When they called my name, it clicked. And everything felt like this is what I was supposed to do. And so I said, I've never felt this way before, the liberation before. And so I just kind of pursued it since then. So I, it's been six years and counting, two albums, uh, countless. I put up comedy in all of my shows now that I'm home in my room. You know what I mean? And so it's been a cool, cool ride. Hey, man, like so much respect for you. for. Oh, for it's the first doing- time you're doing comedy. That is my first that's time it? doing stand-up. Yeah, that's it. That's That oh. shirt. I remember that shirt like it was anything. So here's the deal. I was I was trying to pace back and forth because that's all the, how the big comedians do it. Yeah, but yeah. everyone thought I was nervous, but I actually wasn't. But I'm going back and forth because Eddie Murphy did that. Kevin Hart did that. <laughs> Chris Rock did that. <laughs> I remember Dane Cook like pacing so much when, when he does his his. Uh, his- routine so yeah i yeah. i can see where you're getting your influence but oh, yeah man, man. Go, going back to what i was saying man so much Ooh. respect for you for for having this is your first show right and you're already oh, yeah. doing it that's my first show big yeah. stage man like uh, in the big stage that's 
that's nerve wracking because like I play music and if I have some new music to do, I would want to do it in these small clubs first just to see how the people would feel it. Yeah. And man, that's that's one thing that I, I am amazed with stand-up comics is that you, you don't know if your joke will work or not until you are there. And when you are there and it's not working, you have to get them back. You get the audience back. Yeah, and it, but it's, it's the same thing with any kind of, of, of performance, you know? You can play the wrong song for your for the audience, and I'm a, we're like blues, we're like country, you know? And yeah. I kind of, I walked into this being like, this, I'm going to do it to say I did it. So if, if someone gives you a chance to be the biggest stage possible for your only performance, one night only, go for it. I lucked out and I loved it. But like, I can't knock you if you're like, I'm doing small clubs, but if someone gave you opportunity, hey, I have a room for you, at the Greek theater, seats 20,000 people in Los Angeles, you're going to be like, I prefer small clubs. No, go for it. And if you bomb to say, we'll never mention that one again. <laughs> We're never going to mention that one again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, I don't know if you could hear it, man. I think we're playing a clip of your audio uh, right now. I can't hear it. But oh, I, you can't? I bet it's awful. I bet it's, <laughs> I, I bet it's awful. There you go. Uh, I don't know if it's working. Oh, there. You go. Let's just give it a listen for all our viewers right now. Ah, that's me walking up stage. Oh yeah. Well, that's what our tech did. But yeah, for for those listening right now, you have your set. You have some of your set on Spotify, and I I, I tried to listen to a few ones before we started. I'll definitely listen to it later. I mean, you said you made a three-minute set, right? Like, how long did yeah? How long did you write that? Uh, that's a good question. I felt like the the last two weeks of the class. So when when you first start out, you have this thing of like, I need my jokes. Got to give these jokes. Got to give these people the jokes. And so I, I I wrote it and I tried to recite it. And I think when we in comedy, recite, 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 until you realize jokes are actually secondary. It's more about connecting with the audience. So I would say about a week and a half of me just talking to myself, talking in the car, doing all those kinds of things. But yeah, I've been able to grow. I have a, a, an EP called Cookies and Beer, an LP called American for Now, uh, two comedy singles, and I have a comedy music song. Because during the pandemic, I couldn't go to the clubs, so I made a song called Alone in the Club, and that's me actually rapping uh, for a comedic oh. uh, <laughs> comedic take, yeah. Oh, that's really nice to hear. And yeah, man, that's the thing about uh, that I've noticed, because uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, Netflix comedy specials, that, and uh, I'll be watching it on YouTube. I would realize that the joke that they told on Netflix special was delivered differently during their earlier time so like it becomes funnier and funnier as it goes along and and i i really think those one hour specials on netflix probably took them a year to perfect i mean could could you uh attest to at, that at least at least uh for a uh, netflix hour i would say the average is about a year a year and a half and you basically you come up with all your bits and then you try to see how they can then you do like a whole like rearrange see how they can link how you can do callbacks and then then you do something called working your material and that's going to clubs and and doing because sometimes it depends on how much you get booked if you get booked for 20 minutes you can only do 20 minutes so you do that you work on your each bit or each section and then after that if you can afford it or get it you do something called running the hour 
and that's you go to a club, you ask them for the time on an off night, and you do the entire performance once, twice, five times if you want to. One of my friends, Jesus Trejo, who's now come up and coming, did his, he actually rented an office and wrote his jokes on the wall and rearranged his material to go. But so there's people like, um, I would say, Kevin Hart, who does a special a year. There's people like Chris Rock that does a special every six years. Um, Netflix has kind of ramped that up and you see the quality of specials are kind of all over the place. There's a lot more now, but the qualities are all over the place because people want to get that payday, right? But yeah. back in the day when it was HBO and, and six comedy specials in total, <laughs> people yeah. took their time because that was that was their legacy in eternity for sure. Yeah, man. And um, I would ask this to you, like, do you become analytical with your jokes? Like if you tell a joke, uh, are you going to be figuring out like, hey, this joke was ha- uh, reacted, has more reaction than this one. So how will I improve this one? Or when I said it this way, or do you just like keep on winging it every night and just let m- um, memory kick in? Like, you know, your, your muscle memory kick in, so to speak. Everyone's different, but I will say that the cop-out answer is you live it to both. You know, if, if you're walking, you're doing a joke and no one responds to it, you know it doesn't work. We don't know why it doesn't work, whether it's the word choice or the structure or when you drop it. So you have to come back like, a, I'm going to tweak this line. I'm going to tweak that line to see whatever, whatever. But sometimes if you if you are practicing your hour and then you realize you say something off the cuff and people laugh at that more, you're like, oh, I was even planning for that. Let me do that next time and next time. And I remember when I first started, uh, uh, one of my jokes uh, was uh, about a friend of mine that uh, had invited me out to t- help him move. I helped him move. And he invited me out to, to Burger King because he was going to, to thank me for helping him move. And point being, I ordered one sandwich. He ordered like 10 of them, a lot. And he got offended that it was expensive, like not knowing a burger is not cheap necessarily. And the original joke was him being like, oh, heck no. Nah, and he yells at the counter person. But for some people who work hard jobs, maybe people who work at Burger King, it's kind of rude and not funny at all and and so the then the joke ended up being was him being like oh 1895 for burgers i think you should check it again and i was like you don't negotiate prices at burger you just don't do it and so yeah. having someone try to negotiate something that was absolute was like the first like realization like oh it was a funny situation but i went too serious let me adjust to that and that became my first callback when I was in a bad situation. I go check it again because you know it became like my thing. So yeah, a little bit of experimentation, a little bit of of taking feedback and rolling it all t- together for sure. Yeah, man. And, and another question I would want to ask is how are you writing your material at at this time? Because I mean, right now there are it's it's you're kind of treading like. Uh, d- crazy murky waters so to speak because i mean i'm watching the office from time to time and when i hear some of their jokes there i'm like man if i said that now it's not gonna be fun in the internet you know yeah yeah tastes always change and uh one of the the things about comics is that we take experiences we all experience and we try to find the, the breaking of the pattern. Why is it funny? Why is it unique? Why does it make me mad? The problem was with the, tw- the 2020 pandemic is that we all got the same 
experience. And so you saw in, in April and May, everyone had coronavirus jokes and everyone had cleaning jokes and everyone had hand sanitizer jokes. And it was great, but now July rolls around, you're just like, well, now what? We've all done that. And so I was lucky enough because my hand sanitizer joke came out before the pandemic. But, oh, that's, but that's why it was like the, the tastes always change. I grew up at a time where comics were observational. Hey, what's the deal with airline food? Isn't it funny? One thing I've noticed, and, and what's happened since then, is that people want to see themselves in the comics. So now comedians are being like, yeah, I'm, I'm awkward, or I'm a nerd, or my kids are crazy because they do this. And so what we notice, hot jokes like in, in the office time or news radio time is seen as too harsh. I remember back in the day, you could swear in prime time. I mean, I remember, I'm keeping my swear on the show, or can I? Probably not. But you could yeah, swear. Yeah, you could swear. Or, Come on, man. Okay, so in the 90s, when something was cool, people would say, it's bitchin'. But you can't even do that at all at all now because the word is so triggering. And that's just because tastes have changed. And you see so many comics go, people are so sensitive. And I say, they're not sensitive. It's just that now, if you're offended, you can find people who are also offended online <laughs> and have an offended <laughs> army. And so you have to navigate that with your content, for sure. Yeah, I mean, only a few could get away with that, and when not one person I would think of is is Bill Burr. Like he he just says it, and and I guess the way he delivers it, it helps him get away with it. But yeah, man, like when it comes to uh, telling jokes right now, like you said, you know, you have to think of the audience, but at the same time, you become more creative because you try to be funny, in in a way that people would accept it. And that's where you try to find different jokes or different angles. So it's it's not the same type of jokes as it was in the past. You're doing a different one. There is a challenge, though. I think uh, a lot of times we don't know what's offensive going in. Obviously, I'm not sitting yeah. at home being like, you know, the problems with these people. I'm not doing that. But like, you can say you can make a joke about, oh, I was stuck in the L.A. airport. It sucks. And someone goes, my dad works at the airport. How dare you? And you're like, oh, crap, I didn't know, <laughs> you know, and that becomes frustrating. But but yeah, I think a lot of us. Uh, who are in the writing stages, who aren't performing stages, have to realize that the audience would bring their experience, and you have to have a tough skin on that level. As long as you're not walking into uh, a show with the intent to offend, I think a lot of times people give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, definitely, and and uh, I I agree with you with that one because there are some jokes that probably would work there that wouldn't work here, and vice versa. Um, was there a joke that you said in the past where you got backlash, and and how did you get yourself of that situation? Oh wow, you know it, it's funny because like in L.A., you don't get heckled as much in L.A. You get kind of like the non-answer, um, but but in New York. Uh, they'll they'll boo you. <laughs> they'll boo you. They'll boo, they'll boo or heckle you. Um, I made a mistake early in my career. So backstory: I used to be very very heavy. I used to be about four hundred pounds, uh, and I and I was well, just like what two two hundred kilo. I don't know the guy's the conversion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. Uh, uh, and then I lost a lot of weight, and so the joke I had, and and I set it up wrong, was. Um, I was literally on the Subway diet. I ate Subway sandwiches and I lost weight that way. So I go, yeah, man, so I lost a lot of weight. Do you guys want to know how I did it? And people are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> man, that, that fast. And I, and I, but the thing is, I, re I had left them open to say that. Even if they didn't hate me, it was their way to interact in a way that threw me off. And I was so early in my career, I was like, oh, oh, and so uh, I learned very quickly that tell a joke 
And you have to have a little bit of a guard up. So if someone gives you something or boos you or heckles you, you can have something to say. So when I said that afterwards, a week after, hey, do you know what I did it? And he's like, no. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you anyway because I am slim and trim. I'm like, yo, pudgy ass. You know, I went back and made it on them. And that's something you learn. You learn after a time, you're a boxer. Right? You're gonna get hit in the, if you're going to be a boxer, you're going to get hit in the face. And it's part of the, the thing. You can't be like, ouch. You know, you got to hit back. And so as long as it's within good fun and it's not too mean, why not? Yeah, man. And, and that is indeed true. Like, I mean, you wouldn't know that it's going to go that way if you didn't experience it. And the good thing is you, you keep continuing your craft and getting better at it. Now, um, another thing with that, you know, you're a stand-up comic. You're a wrestling fan. Have you done any wrestling-related jokes? Because, come on, man, you should by now. Yeah, I, I do them here and there, but I can tell you what, only wrestling fans get them. You, you realize, mean, yeah. I didn't realize how niche wrestling was until I started doing wrestling jokes. I was like, oh. well, yeah, that's 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 like the thing you enjoy. Like, if I was a wrestling fan and someone told that joke in the show, and I'm the only one who gets it, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy that joke because I know I get it and they don't. <laughs> that's great for you too, but terrible you're on stage and one guy's <laughs> one guy's laughing like ah. <laughs> But, but yeah, yeah, I have this basically this thing where I say wrestling like real life. And so I won't go through the whole bit here, but like kind of like if I'm beating you beating you up and your friend has theme music, I don't notice your theme music till too late. Or I can back down from a fight in a wrestling promo way. Like I'd be like, you know what, Paulo? I'm gonna kick your ass. But not tonight. Three weeks <laughs> on Sunday, pay-per-view. I that's dope. And so only wrestling fans get that. And so I sit there and go, oh, okay, moving on. <laughs> That's that's a good one. Like, I guess you'd have to know. Maybe you could do those shows like after SummerSlam. Like, if there's a nearby bar, you know they'd go there. And right, they'd right. Probably enjoy it. <laughs> I bet that's how it feels if I had anime jokes. Like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah, man. Speaking of, like, what is your material uh, mostly about? Yeah, it has to be about me. And I know that sounds kind of like like conceited or whatever, but that's the only way I personally can navigate how am I relatable? How am I going to not offend people? How am I going to be having experience that's generally funny, but not too niche? It's just make it about myself. So I am an American. My parents are immigrants. They came uh, from the Caribbean. A lot of stuff comes from there. In fact, my LP, American for Now, came from the idea that my mom retired from work, but she wanted to, to celebrate, to visit Elvis's Graceland in Memphis. And I go, that's the thing you want to do, Ma? Like, of all the things in this, in this giant country, you want to see Elvis's mansion. Okay. You know, or, or the fact that I, I'm from a time period where we used to get beat up for liking comic books. Like, I was an Archie Comics fan, you know? And, and if you were a nerd, they took your books and girls didn't talk to you. But now people walk around being like, I'm such a nerd. And you get mad. Like, you don't understand how it was when I was a kid. Like, a lot of stuff comes from that, my upbringing and stuff as well. Yeah, man, that's so true. I remember I'm, I'm a big comic book fan as well. And I sometimes if I was in the mall and I walked with, with some of my schoolmates and we passed by, I had to hide it because it wasn't cool that time. But if you would go out right now, like everybody would be talking about that Disney Plus and, and all those uh, Marvel and DC movies. And I'm like, if that happened during my time, man, I would I would be probably not getting all the... I wouldn't have the same issues as I did when I was a kid. I get mad. I feel like I'm a, a veteran from a lost war. Like, we we struggled. Does anyone not know? <laughs> exactly. 
Like it wasn't cool wearing a a Batman shirt back in the day, right? Like you you have to wear those. Uh, I mean, during my time, like those heavy metal shirts are the in thing, and wearing something about like your favorite superhero, they'd probably tell say some words about how childlike you are, you know? Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned anime. Are you a big fan of anime as well? I am so not. <laughs> it's it's oh. a it's a fandom I understand. And on one of my shows this week, I, I sat down with my one of my schoolmates, Phil Reich, who is the English voice dub of Giorno Giovanna from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So mm-hmm. I had to watch JoJo to, to get because when I have my guests, I make sure all my research is all on point in that world but as a kid i just watched the mainstream ones i watched pokemon i watched Yu-Gi-Oh, i watched sailor moon and that was pretty much it man i watched dragon ball but yeah speaking of jojo i mean it was a big thing in the wrestling community here in the philippines i remember there was a group of like a stable of wrestlers who did a lot of jojo references so i i didn't watch it i haven't watched it but yeah it's it's very intriguing to say the least Man, what what are your favorite comic books then? Like you, you mentioned that comic, you you weren't uh, popular back then for reading comic books. What were you reading back then? Sure. So when I was a kid, I was into Archie comics. That was like my bright my bright and bright. Like the, the funny stuff about Archie and Betty and Veronica. I used to read those all the time. I still do. In the grocery store, I pick one up. Uh, I don't know if this is the video version, but those of you who are listening, I have uh, the the DC comic characters on the wall there. Oh. I'm a DC. I'm a DC comic guy. Uh, my top three: uh, Green Lantern, John Stewart, uh, the artist formerly known as uh, Captain Marvel, and Superman. I'm a big Superman defender. I think a lot of people say he's too boring. Boring. If you think he's boring, you don't know Superman. Uh, <laughs> those are my top three. Uh, but I, Green Lantern Rebirth is one of my favorite ones. I uh, as a as a teenager, I would read the the reclamation of that. I bought old Captain Marvel comics, Starman from the nineties. I was into that stuff. Mostly DC. I like DC comics more. Have you kept some of those comic books that you have then, and you know, do you have some uh, grails, so to speak? Yeah, some of them. I mean, I definitely the Starman, some of the Starman and and the Captain Marvel ones as well. Um, but a lot of them got lost. You know how parents are. You're kids. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you don't lose your comic books, it means you didn't read it. And I think reading it and drawing on it is is one of the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, I also say Batwing was one of the most underrated uh, superhero stories. I love Batwing. Thief of Thieves, the graphic novels I trade waited for those. My favorite artist, Sean Martin, bro, uh, wrote that one. So I um, drew that one. So like, I'm all about DC Comics, Thief of Thieves, a Batwing. Sick. Oh, there it is, Riverdale. Yeah, man, that's, that's not my Archie. Next- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna ask you, man. How do you feel that they're they're making that? that kind of reboot to the Archie comics. So when older wrestling fans would like huff and puff and say wrestling isn't the same as it was in the seventies, I would say, ah, come on, old man, get over it. Yeah, that's whatever. But I got it with Riverdale because like <laughs> Archie's biggest problem was, did he have a date with Betty or a date with Veronica? And I watched this one and I'm like, this is not for me. This is not for my demographic or age. And so at first I was going to, to, to trash it. I was like, forget River, don't watch that crap. Um, but I was like, you know what? Archie wasn't hot in these streets. If a whole new generation watches Riverdale and buys an Archie comic book and keeps that alive, then fine. <laughs> I'm willing to live and let live. 
Exactly, man. Like uh, I, I've read some Archie comics because, like, my grandfather uh, loved it so much he collected them, and I was reading some of the uh, issues. But like when I was watching Riverdale, I, I noticed like Archie has to be shirtless at least once during an episode. I'm like, man, I don't know if my grandfather <laughs> would would warm up to this. You love that that innocence or, or that like just looking at them eating burgers or playing uh, music but in Riverdale it's it's mostly murder I mean yeah I, yeah. I enjoyed from time to time but I don't think my my grandfather would would be a big fan of it oh yeah absolutely not I, I guess giving me as a kid as a fat kid growing up the fact that Jughead didn't date and just love cheeseburgers I was, I was all about that but then like Jughead had a girlfriend in season one and it was Betty you're just like what what <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's not fair I I always saw Jughead as like Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. If if you watch that series, like he yeah. should have been that kind of role where he's in his own world and and you know that nothing would would harm him in terms of a romantic relationship. Right, harm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean. All right, but yeah, man. Going back to uh, that DC man. We gotta talk about that Justice League Snyder Cut. I mean, are you excited for it? Uh, I am. And um, is it going to be a great movie? It's going to be flawed. I know are the you? expectations, but it's going to be a different kind of flawed. So my biggest hang-up with Justice League, the theatrical version, was that the characters turned on a dime. Whether or not you liked Snyder's interpretation or thought DC was too dark, I, I could not believe that the warrior princess, uh, Princess Diana from Wonder Woman, was going to land softly underneath the Flash <laughs> and have the Flash mount her in Justice League. Or the Flash, who basically went through time and space in Batman vs. Superman, is all of a sudden a guy who's afraid of brunch and Justice. I was like, what? Who wrote this? Josh Whedon. Okay. So what we're going to get it's going to be this giant bloated thing. We're probably going to say, hey, look, Avengers still was a better movie. But I would love to see what Snyder had in mind. I think the fans deserve that. Did the fans deserve a four-hour movie? Probably not. <laughs> but we're going to get what Snyder wanted. Are, are you excited for the Jared Leto Joker and how he would be portrayed in this one? I was actually a fan of Jared Leto Joker. I know he gets a lot of hate, but I'm like, dude, me too. And that's why I was, uh, I was tiptoeing my myself oh, and asking no, that I, question. I, I never, I have yet to meet one who likes that kind of Joker. Look, the 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 uh, the last Joker was fine. I'm not knocking it, but if if there was a joke a Joker character today, you best be right. He'll have face tattoos, and he would actually have his teeth replaced. Probably wouldn't afford a Lambo, but yeah, I could totally see that being like some kind of like you know like a, a Florida man type type deal. And so yeah, why not more Jared Leto, please? Yeah, man. Also, I, I don't know. I, this is how I defend it. Like all the other Jokers from all the Batman movies have more than ten minutes of screen time, so I think it's unfair that I, I heard Jared had like four hours of of Joker footage, and we only got ten, just because they had to not make it dark. Right. Right. Well, I can tell you one thing: a person that tattoos the word "damage" in their forehead should not be messed with. And so, uh, any more Jared Little, I'm I'm fine with it. Have you seen the the latest uh, photo of him? Well, uh, probably when this episode comes out, the the movie's already out. But like he had that Jesus like uh, crown of thorns on his head. Have you seen that one? I have seen that one, and again, that that that's totally feels to me something a guy that that Joker would do. 
the, the, the continuity of the character is an evolution, sure, but it doesn't seem different. Now, if, if Joker somehow switches to becoming a barista at Starbucks, I'd be like, come on, Joss, we didn't want, you know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it seems a lot more linear, and that's why I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, moving forward, and uh, there it is. I don't know if you have, Ooh. like, the news. Yeah, man, look at that. That's so good. But, yeah, that that I was looking for that tattoo. I mean, because, like, I guess how they showed how Snyder wanted to be is that he just covered it up with more uh, white makeup, I guess. Mm. But how do you think DC should be moving forward? Because clearly some of the original Justice League characters aren't there. But some of them work, like the Wonder Woman, the actor. Uh, Aquaman and probably the Flash, but I, I think we might not see the same Batman or Superman again. So a lot of movie fans, and I will say this: the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the first three phases, was a masterstroke. It was something that we've never seen before, and it paid off. It took like what nineteen movies, but it yeah, paid exactly. off. But the trade off was it was incredibly expensive. And when Disney bought Marvel, they had to like basically give boatloads of money for Tony Stark to stay for continuity purposes. So like you look at Warner Brothers now, which is a unit of AT&T, and of all the media companies in Hollywood, AT&T is the most risk averse. You might get a couple picture deals. You might get some individual crossovers. You might even get a Justice League movie, but you're not going to get that giant sprawling storyline. If it happens, I'll be surprised because there's no way you can match Marvel. And now you've stumbled out the block so often that it's not even worth it. As a DC fan, are you happy that it's going to be released? Like most of the movies this year would be released on HBO Max or, or would you still be that person who would watch it in the theaters if you had a chance? I understand because I went to film school too, so I understand this debate uh, of, of the the giant screen and, and theatrics thing. And people say, "Look, there's to be sad said by being in the giant screen with the fresh popcorn and and the the, the booming sound." But like going to the theater above all that is supposed to be a good feeling time. It's community. It's getting your friends and family to watch that movie. If I am having to mask up and I am worried about the person next to me, is that really the truly the movie experience? Well, I've been able, back when theaters were open, I would go on Tuesday mornings by myself. So it wasn't communal for me anymore. Okay, yeah, maybe my, my monitor is not a, 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 a movie theater screen, but we've been so used to watching things on our phones. I'm okay with now. I get it. It's the worst thing to say. How could you? But what's more important? Getting your film seen or having it on a screen that's 40 feet tall? Exactly, man. And I agree with you. I mean, when I watched movies before this happened, I usually go uh, the earliest and in a, a theater where no one goes. Because one thing that I hate is there's like an audio commentary from someone sitting next to you who watched it for the second or third time. Because, I mean, let's give it, like, those Avengers movies. You watch it more than once. And when they're already telling you what's happening. Because, like, if you watch it the first time, it's the enjoyment. But, like, for the second time, the third time, it's it's spotting out the Easter eggs or the foreshadowing that you haven't seen. And, and if you hear it, it kind of be like, oh, man, can you just not talk? Man? <laughs> right. <laughs> I hear That's, you. That's one of the craziest things. Now, aside from like being a fan of comics, a uh, fan of wrestling, uh, a stand-up comic, you wrote a book. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. So before before the host before comedy before hosting uh, before everything, I was a I was a 
film editor. And when I went to film school, I had ideas for movies. Director Studios didn't want to make them, so I wrote it myself. And so starting in 2008, I had had three short story collections, uh, two poetry collections, two novellas, and I'm working on a memoir now. And so I feel like that was a proto thing. Like Before anything else, I was a writer first. And the process was cool, arduous, hard. Uh, looking back at my old stuff now, I hate it. But that just means I'm growing as a writer. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, You could look at it now on Amazon or Barnes Noble. Just type my name in there, and the books come up. Yeah, man. I think everybody who who is improving would probably hate their earlier works, knowing that if if you knew what you knew now back then, it, it would have been better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. With uh, speaking of these books, I mean, you you mentioned that you you've done a handful, uh, and you're gonna make a memoir right now. Like, uh, That's especially yeah. Is this number two? Yeah, Master Andrew. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, this is a question, by the way, before I go to that one. You uh, you gave me your email. It's FLoboBoys. I mean, yeah. what's the F stand for, man? Oh, <laughs> well, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a, a compromise, and I I don't go too much of it. But like, obviously, Flobo is not my real name. <laughs> it's not my my okay. legal name. It's a combination of my first and last, like J Lo. Oh, okay. And okay. so when I started going by Flobo professionally, my mom, the devout Christian she was, was like, "That's not the name God gave you." <laughs> So, oh, okay. so as a compromise, my legal name right is the F part, and I did F level boy. So that way, she can be happy and say, "My my son's real name is out there." I'm like, "No, I'm Flobo." <laughs> man, uh, man, like when I first read it, I thought that was the spelling. I didn't know it was like the first letter of your real name. But it's good right. that you you gave you listened to your mom because I mean, if if my mom would ask me to do the same thing, I probably would. Because if I didn't, then I don't know how Christmases would be going. <laughs> you know, she's like, "Who? How? <laughs> Who's? I don't know no Flobo." No, for real. So here, uh, I don't know if you you can see this with your fans or whatnot, but that's all the books I have. High Desert Runs a novella, Mass Transit, a short story collection. By the Ounce was the first book I ever wrote. Legacy was a graphic novel I wrote. Uh, Anticipation was an anthology. Pay the Vig is a novella. Silver Streak is a um, short story collection. And and uh, yeah, so all, all of them are there on Amazon. That's me without a beard. Uh, and about seventy pounds heavier <laughs> back in the man, day, man. Like you should update the the photo right now, especially with the new one. But like, yeah, yeah man. How how was it writing? Like, how long do you write these uh, artworks? Oh, I mean, these masterpieces of yours. <laughs> You're too kind. You're way too kind. I, it does depend. Uh, the short story collections, I, I can really if I put my put my head to it, get it done about four to five months first draft. And then, of course, there's months of redrafts and writing and, and get it proofread. The novellas took me a little longer. They're more of a, a longer idea throughout the whole page. And um, I did the first draft of High Desert Run in six weeks, and then plus edits. And then Pay the Vig took me about two years uh, plus edits. And so after Pay the Vig, I was like, whew, I'm going to take a break before uh, novella number three. And that break, never it's still happening now. So the book I'm writing currently is more of a memoir, nonfiction. I'll go back to novellas or novels soon, but each project has their own gestation period. Man, it seems like your mind is not resting because like aside from like if you're going to do these podcasts, especially the NXT recap podcast, you have to like pay attention to the product. Yeah, the crotch line. <laughs> and of course, yeah. when you're writing your jokes, you have to 
again think and then you're writing books in between man like yeah. i mean how do you find inspiration for each one or like when you write a book is it like purely a book or is there a time where in the morning you could write the book in the afternoon jokes uh, at night you could do the the podcast yeah it's it's kind of like that um because if you, I, i'm not the kind of person who can block out time like that so i treat every day in little sections i'll say 35 minute sections so I'll set my alarm for about 35 minutes and on, on a project, whether I'm writing the book or working out. And at the end of that 35 minutes, I have a choice of either doing 35 more or moving on. So a typical day, I would say I'll get up around 6.30 uh, and by, by scrolling my phone for, for social media for an hour. By 7.30, I'm writing the book uh, for an hour or so. Then do I doing all my uh, day job stuff. I'm a wedding DJ, so I do my day job stuff. I'll talk to clients, make sure the money's there, all that kind of stuff. Probably go out to to run, work out, come back, then do my shows for NXT or something like that. So each each day there is an hour or two of being dedicated to a different slot of the brand. Do I say the brand? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. I mean, man, respect the hustle, man. Like oh, hey, I, I really enjoy when people like do everything they can to to make what to make their dreams come true, so to speak. Because like there are a lot of people who would be talking and say, "Hey, I want to be a writer, but I'm too busy with my day job," and uh, they just don't know that 35 minutes could make a big difference from starting. Because it's better to do something for 35 minutes daily than not do anything at all. Yeah, and and stamina is something I won't say can't be learned, but you can train yourself to be better at it. So like, if you work a nine hour day or ten hour day, I don't know what's 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 standard. Uh, I would say nine hours, right? If you're working a nine hour day, I, I most people have like ninety minutes of downtime before put the kids to bed, do the homework, eat or whatever. We're exhausted. We're like, man, I just spent all day listening to my boss. I can't go on. I do think if you say I'm exhausted, but twice a week. Of those five, you may find yourself making two times a week, three times a week. And then it becomes, oh, I'm definitely going to write after work. Uh, I'm definitely going to do two hours on Saturday. I think it's something you can build on if you give yourself a chance. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, like, just for example, you're writing a book. You give yourself 35 minutes. Do you mean to say, like, after 35 minutes, if, if you're not coming up with something good, you'll move to your next project. So probably you'll write jokes for your next uh, stand-up. Or do you force yourself to think for another 35 minutes? Hey, maybe I could do better this next 35. How, how does that work, man? It, 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 sounds, it sounds bad, but it does depend. But of the two options, it's better to write crap and then move on than to say not today. Because not today means there's no record of your work. If you were hiring yourself to your own creative studio or to your own book imprint or to your own comedy club and your boss goes, what have you done today? I had nothing. Um, you can write it, and then tomorrow go. That was dumb. Uh, <laughs> but 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 the idea is that at the end of thirty five minutes, you have a choice of even doing thirty five minutes more or writing it. For the 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 novels, I there's some days I skip. I'll be like, yeah, not feeling it. Not even give it a chance today. The jokes, I try to squeeze one out because there's so many jokes you have to write to even consider them being okay, to, to consider them be even good, to consider them even being worth telling, to be worth even practicing. That it doesn't hurt. To say, okay, the chicken crossed the road because he was tired. Next, <laughs> you know what I mean. Exactly. You might get something inspiration later. Yeah, I would, uh, I would get that, and that's the reason why I asked when you were writing the book because I would assume there are some chapters where you have to be like, I mean, when 
writing a song, I need to be in a certain kind of zone or emotion. And if I'm not feeling that emotion, I, I feel that I might write crap. But like you said, man, it's better to to suck for 35 minutes than to not suck at all and not do anything. Well, no. that's a decision. I just got you off there. But like between no, yeah, a, yeah. a professional and a hobbyist, and I'm not judging anyone because you can have hobbies, you can have to be professional, but like you sit there with Stephen King and Stephen King's an author that, that writes, what, two books a year? He says, I get up and I give myself four hours of writing every morning. He treats it like a job because the, the, the days you don't feel like doing it and you do it are the days that are going to give you the, the things to keep moving forward. Those are going to be the days like, oh, wait, I'm really doing it. If you say, I do it when I'm inspired to do it, that's a hobby. And it's okay, it's a hobby. I have lots of hobbies. I, I play a couple of video games as a hobby. If I'm not feeling it, I don't play. Uh, but when it comes to the jokes and hosting the podcast, if NXT has an episode, I'm doing a recap. That's a job. Exactly, man. And uh, yeah, as we are winding down, I just want to uh, go back to the premise of the show again, uh, figuring things out. Like, how hard is it to write a book at this time? Because uh, I'm so curious. Do you have like a publisher? Because like, I, I put out music on Spotify. We and you you release your comedy uh, sketches there and, and your jokes. It's so easy because you just need to have like a distro kit or, or something that distributes it. But like when it comes to writing a book, do you need to have a publisher to get it on Amazon or is there like a middleman like a distro kit or a CD baby where you just put your book in and they they sell it out? The answer is to all that stuff, yes. Uh, when I first started writing, I went to a publishing house. Basically, you give them the manuscript and they'll uh, publish it as one of their offerings. But when you do that, you do give up some control in the pricing and your share of the royalties because they're offering you a service. Now, more than ever, you can do completely self-published. Uh, you can go to Amazon directly. It's called KDP Select. Uh, you can. Um, there's other places where you can just put, put. You can do your own website if you want to. If it's an ebook, but and then when doing though, you do give up some of the marketing tools. You got to push everything yourself, and so it's it comes down to whatever flavor you are. I will tell new authors, why not learn to do it yourself? That way, you keep all your royalties and keep all the control. But if you're somebody who's like, I wrote the Great American Novel, just make sure my book is on Bronze and Noble, please. Then yes, you can get a, you can send queries to a literary agent. And once you have a literary agent, that person will, on your behalf, send to book uh, publisher imprints. You cannot walk into a cannot walk into a random house or Simon and Schuster and be like, "I wrote a book." And like, there's a door. You need representation. You need a literary agent if you want to go that route. But I don't recommend it. Write your book. Research which which uh, how to get an ISBN number or an ISBN number. That's the the barcode, and then submit on a platform you like, Amazon or Lulu or whatever have you. I hear you, man. And, and it's really nice that you yourself are very good at getting your name and your work out there. I, I've been seeing your YouTube channels and your other socials. You're very active every day. So, I mean, that's the best way to promote yourself because, you know, one tweet could probably go viral and they could see all your books just like that. And, you know, there's always these stories about like authors or artists who, who always say they'd rather sell 100 copies of a book that they fully own than a million copies under a, a company or a publisher because probably you won't get as much even if you sold more. Yeah, absolutely. And the fans that buy the 100 are more engaged, so they'll be more willing to hear your blogs or whatever you're working on as well. 
Yeah, man. And before I let you go, you've been very generous with your time. Like, I guess this is the time for you to promote everything that you have upcoming that Ooh. we haven't talked about yet. Uh, uh, we we had there's a lot of stuff. <laughs> lot yeah, of man. Stuff. It was fun, man. This was fun, by the way. No, it really was, man. I, your show is called I Don't Know What to Say, and I had no idea what to say. So I'm glad you made it easy for me. Um, my personal website is flowbito.com. That's F L O B I T O.com. I get to talk about the, the DJ side of things and, and other shows I've been on, like this one. Um, all the shows I run, if you want to see all the shows I host, newamsterdam.com. That's K N E W. Amsterdam.com. I think it's currently eight shows that I host or or I produce. Uh, I'm also into esports casting. That's commentary for esports. The game I play is called Rocket League. Uh, my Rocket League handle is called Novanta. You can check that out at Twitter at Novanta. That's N-O-V-A-N-T-A-R-L. Novanta RL. You can see all of my Rocket League commentary and casting. As I'm like the Michael Cole of it. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> so I think that's everything else we've talked about. Plus what we talked about on your show. Yeah. Definitely. Again, man, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, I guess we learned so much today. One of those is if you want to do something, you just have to do it. And with all the resources we have now, it's so easy and accessible to get our work out there. Aside from that, we also learned that comic books are cool even before so if you were a kid and then you got bullied man <laughs> yeah. go find them right now they're probably waiting for that next episode of wandavision or that <laughs> winter soldier one True. again thank you so much flobo thank you so much for everyone listening right now i'm palo gonzalez idk what to say <laughs> <laughs>